People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. Fine Music Radio, and this is Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note. Now, widely recognized as the leading music theater director of his generation in South Africa, Matthew Wilde is increasingly sought after as a stage director in Europe, where his productions are earning praise for their conceptual intelligence, visual bravura, and musicality. They've won acclaims in major opera houses in Germany, Austria, Switzerland, and Sweden. And we've seen a lot of Matthew's work here in Cape Town with shows and operas like Orpheus and Eurydice, Donizetti Marius Tuwarda, Wagner's Der Fliegende Hollander, Die Zauberflöte, Cosi van Tutte, Don Giovanni, Salome by Richard Strauss, also Rossini's Il Viaggio a Rems, Sue Angelica, and even Stravinsky's Rake's Progress. That's quite a, an array of productions. And Matthew is in Cape Town now to direct Handel's opera for Cape Town Opera, Alcina, which opens this weekend here in Cape Town. Matthew, welcome. It's good to have you here. It's wonderful to be back at Artscape. I think I've fallen into that trap that you'd mentioned a lot of people do. I thought you no longer lived in Cape Town, and apparently I'm quite wrong. Home base is still (laughs) here, but I've been back and forth into Europe for work. Um, over the last year and a half. Remind so. me when you left Cape Town Opera, as you were the artistic director, weren't you? That's right. I finished up in March 2021 and have been freelancing since then. Okay. That's a bit of a brave thing to do. And then you had COVID to deal with. Well, obviously, the timing's been a little bit interesting because <laughs> COVID took something to a wrecking ball of everyone's plans for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was lucky that a couple of, of, of really important shows did go ahead in Europe over the, the really difficult lockdown periods. Uh, we had a Porgy and Bess, which by some miracle managed to happen in Vienna in October 2020. Was that the South African production? Uh, it was not. It was an all-new production, which was supposed to have the Cape Town Opera Chorus. Um, but at the end of the day, it became too difficult to fly everybody over on repatriation flights. Right, right. Um, but still, it was a cast from around the world of, of really incredible singers. Mm-hmm. Um, and by some miracle, the, the, the theatre in Vienna still managed to pull this off in October 2020. You in know, the midst the, of it all, yes. Gosh. In the midst of it all. The Austrians were incredibly brave about keeping theatres open and, and keeping work on stage because it's just such a big part of their culture and, and their economy. Indeed. Did you manage to steer clear of COVID? I got it eventually. <laughs> did you? Yeah, you quite a while later. On, yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on none of the international <laughs> travels or anything. I mean, okay. During a quiet period. At what home, made you decide to go freelance? As I said, it's a brave thing to do, especially with COVID. Well, you didn't know COVID was coming, but... Um, did you get invitations from Europe that you knew might give you something to do? Yeah, exactly. I mean, my, my calendar in Europe was getting was getting fuller and fuller. Uh, while I was artistic director here, I had an eight-month-a-year contract, which would allow me to do two productions a year elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, often one of those was a musical at the Fugard, and, uh, and one of those would be uh, an opera in Europe. Um, but I was getting more and more offers in Europe, and um, it was getting too difficult to balance both. How so I they, decided to take the plunge. How did they know about you, Matthew? Do you have an agent over there? Yes, I have an agent in Berlin. Oh, well, that makes a big difference. And uh, I actually changed changed uh, agents since the pandemic because so many things have, have, have sort of shifted. My old agency closed down. Mm-hmm. But I've had representation there since 2014 and made my debut in, in Germany in 2016. Um, and it's just been a sort of steady process of... of um, <laughs> 
more and more people coming to see my stuff and getting interested. And, um, and yeah, there's a lot of great stuff in the diary from next year onwards again. Okay, now with this Alcina, uh, just whet our appetites a bit. It's apparently an opera about magic and witches and things. Yeah, it's a fantasy opera, one of Handel's biggest masterpieces uh, with a brilliant, fantastical plot. Alcina is an enchantress who uh, rules over a very seductive enchanted isle with her sister Morgana. Uh, men, especially soldiers, have a habit of washing up on the, the shores and <laughs> being enchanted by her. Um, she tends to take them as lovers and tire of them very quickly, at which point she turns them into wild beasts or rocks or rivers or trees or some other part of the Not island. Not a nice lady. Not a nice lady, <laughs> but, um, but Handel seems to be terribly sympathetic for her. Um, and for how sort of seductive and, and human she is. He gives her the most wonderful music to sing, uh, and she really goes through every emotion possible in this opera. Um, it's a terrific piece. It's my first time doing any handle, um, which I've been keen to do for a long time. I've always been a little bit nervous. Um, it's, you know, aria after aria after aria. There's only mm -hmm. one number in which singers actually sing together at the same time in this piece. And you imagine that this is going to be quite quite challenging for a director. But in a way, the drama is so good. There is so much going on between these, between these principal characters. And you just don't stage them as arias. You just stage it as scene after scene. So I've had a lot of fun doing this. And <laughs> quite looking, looking forward to getting, getting stuck into more handle in the future now as well. When you say you've had a lot of fun, it makes me think that um, you can be quite risque and quite controversial on stage? Hmm. Not by German <laughs> standards, <laughs> let me put it that way. Okay. Um, I hope, well, imaginative and surprising, I, I, I hope would be the words. Um, there's nothing terribly risque in, in, in this show at all, but there are a lot of surprises. Um, for anyone who's worried that Handel might be boring, uh, I think it's going to be anything but. Um, from about three minutes into the show, there are going to be quite a lot of surprises that'll that'll keep the audience on their on on their toes. Mm -hmm. um, and I hope it's just really going to be a riveting drama um, with some beautiful stage images to look at, and some great singing from wonderful young South African talent. Who is singing Alcina? So Alcina is shared. It's a, it's a double cast uh, throughout the piece. Uh, Anne Pretorius is is one of our Alcinas, and Ondelwa Martins is the other. Uh, it's a co-production between the UCT Opera School and Cape Town Opera. Um, so the cast is drawn. And Jeremy Silver is conducting. And Jeremy Silver is conducting, exactly, yeah. exactly. I want to talk more about the actual music of Alcina because Handel can be so dramatic if he wants to be. And Indeed. it sounds as though he has plenty of space to do that in this particular opera. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing that's, that stands out for me is is often the really the aching seductiveness of this this music, and uh, and the piece that I brought along to listen to today really fits into that 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 category. There's me. something about this music which is so erotic in a way, so nostalgic, um, and Handel seems to take such joy in this enchanted isle and all of its sensuous pleasures, and uh, one really sees the characters struggle to draw themselves away from it. They're, they're supposed to know that it's bad, of course. Of course. Um, but, but, but one can see that, um, yeah, the characters and Handel, in a way, both seem to have fallen in love with this, this fantastical place. Well, tell us about the first piece we're going to listen to. So the first is, is, is my personal favorite number from, from the piece called Miluzinga. Um, it's sung by the character Ruggiero, who's a knight who has uh, been enchanted on the island. 
The entire plot involves his fiancée coming in disguise to try and extract him from the claws of Alcina. Uh, the thing that's different is that for the first time she's actually fallen in love with Ruggiero. Um, and it's going to be much Who more difficult. Alcina has. Alcina has. Oh. It's going to be much more difficult. Because she doesn't presumably like Turandot. She doesn't fall she, in love with her. She's discarded all the previous, and this is the first oh. time that she's really fallen in love. So it's going to be much harder than usual for her to, to uh, let go of him. Um, now, you can either hear this, this number sung by a mezzo-soprano uh, or by a countertenor. And in our production, one's going to have the option of, of hearing both. Oh, uh, and, and I think real fans might want to come twice to, to, to hear <laughs> both. Um, Megan Katz, a wonderful mezzo-soprano who's, who's back from Vienna, who was in La Noce di Figaro, which I'm, I'm sure a lot of people saw, uh, is one of our Ruggeros. And the other is Sanele Mwelase, who's a young countertenor who's, who's come up through the ranks at UCT. So the character is male, and there's a fair amount of gender bending in the piece. And uh, depending on which <laughs> night you come, you will either see, see <laughs> Megan or Sanele. Uh, I've chosen Philippe Jaruski, the superstar French countertenor. Very much so, isn't he? He's having such a career. Oh, he's just wonderful. Good. Yeah. Here's music from Alcina by Handel.
an aria from Alcina by Handel Miluzinga. Who was the singer there, Matthew? Philippe Jaruski. Yes, we were saying what a star he has become as a countertenor. And it was the first choice of my guest on People of Note this week, the director Matthew Wilde, whose production of Handel's Alcina is about to open here at the Artscape Theatre. And just um, having heard a snatch of that music, Handel is so famous. If you think of something very well known like Messiah, he's able to paint pictures, isn't he, in music? And is this typical of this opera as well? Uh, yes, yeah. I, I, I mean, the, the interesting thing about directing a piece like this is that he gets so into the interpersonal drama. And, you know, the plots look quite contrived. If you try and read them on Wikipedia, you sort of, you know, this one gets in disguise and this one, and there's a misunderstanding. And you sort of think on Wikipedia, oh, this is going to be hard to follow and, 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 and it all seems a little contrived. Um, but actually, it's rather brilliant interpersonal betrayal and deception. You know, although the structure is all rather inter- artificial, um, it deals with very real emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why so many modern directors love to work on Handel. Um, it also gives the director a huge amount of freedom. There are these rather long arias, which, of course, are structured in an ABA form mm-hmm. where the, mm-hmm. the first section the typical returns. typical sort of Baroque sound, yeah. The decapo yeah. form, yeah, where the, the, the A section comes back at the end, normally right. with the singer ornamenting it. So the director has to be quite ingenious in finding a way that when when the words and the music are repeated, you've somehow got something new dramatic happening um, so that it doesn't sort of become repetitive or or, or static. Um, So that's the fun bit. When you are given a work like this to direct, what is the first thing you do? Do you go and listen to it? Yeah, I mean, you know, normally for the new pieces that I'm working on, I get asked two or three years in, in advance. Oh, so you've got plenty of time to think about it, get yeah. to know it. You know, you know it, it really depends. Timelines have, have gone so mad because of COVID. Mm. You know, so many things got pushed out. Everybody's schedules in Europe, everyone's still trying to find space for the things that they didn't quite finish. And they're only really starting new productions from 2024 onwards. So some people, you know, are, are doing COVID productions that they've been working on now for five or six years. It, it, it's, it's really strange. But also because of COVID, a lot of people ended up getting jobs on three months notice because suddenly something new was, was needed to, right. to fill right. a gap. So it's really unsettled the whole, the whole rhythm of the industry, which is, which is sort of finding its feet again in, in Europe. You know, the big difference for me always is if it's a piece that I already know quite well, because then sometimes you, you have an idea, mm-hmm. or if it's a piece that's completely new to you. I must say, over time, I'm starting to have a preference for the completely new pieces, because <laughs> then, you Was know, this one completely new? Um, no, I knew Alcina fairly well, but oh, hadn't hadn't really okay. looked at directing it before, so I, I was coming to it fairly fairly fresh. If it's a new piece, I, I try and get hold of a, of a physical CD recording, norm, normally a nice chunky one from the 90s that's got really good program notes and, yes, and a really yes, good yeah. translation, and, and I sit with that. I try not to watch any, any video or DVD versions um, until I have my own sort of strong feelings. Just from having listened to the music and the correct, sound, the sound correct, and the yeah. feel. And the tricky thing is, you know, sometimes on a first listen, you kind of go, oh, goodness, we, this is what we could do. And you stick with that, and and three years later, that's what you put on stage. 
and other times it takes <laughs> a year and a half of trying and going down wrong avenues and and trying again. Yeah. So it really is is different on the piece and 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 depending on how complicated the piece is. Because presumably as director when you come to the very first rehearsal you pretty well have to know what's happening. You have to have your whole vision in mind and it has to work. Yeah, I normally come pretty prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think it's it's the same as directing films in, in some ways. I, th- I think the best option is to have a very well-worked-out plan, but be ready to change it in rehearsals if other people bring in better ideas mm-hmm. or if you suddenly see there's something you, you've missed. Oh, so there's a flexibility mm-hmm. that you, you can have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, often the, the best ideas do only come when you've started working in rehearsals, and sometimes a singer will bring an absolutely genius idea, and you mm-hmm. sort of go, wow, goodness, we, we, we've got to work with that. So it's often about trying to actually come up with a strategy where – you know, obviously, you, you hand in the set design more than a year in advance, and most of that's been built by the time that you start, oh. so you can't change too much visually or technically. Yeah. Um, of course, you have to, in a sense, design the set, don't you? I mean, in a sense that what you want, what you want it to look like. The, the relationship between a director and a, and a set designer, it can be so many different things. There's some set designers who work really in in isolation and they sort of present something to the to the director and they say you know can can you work with us mm-hmm. um i like to work in a way that's very collaborative i really like to sit with a designer and look at a lot of pictures together and look at early things in a model box together and 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 try and work in a way which is which is very integrated is that what you did this for alcina uh yes absolutely wilhelm Desbergen has 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 done the set designs for this and will be doing the lighting and we went through quite, we had a sort of idea for the concept quite early on, but we went through a lot of different versions. Mm-hmm. Um, he works on, on a computer program doing the, doing the designs, which, which I'm not so used to. I'm more used to working with designers who do it physically. But the great thing about that is that you can, you can change it much faster <laughs> yes, than, than, than you can with yeah. scissors, and, scissors and cardboard and, and yeah. glue. Um, so, yeah, we worked through quite a lot of different iterations before arriving on the one that, that everyone will see on stage. And is the setting, um, or I suppose if it's a fantasy, it could be set in any time span. We've made it quite fantastical. Our idea is that Alcina is the star and the empresaria of a little Baroque theatre. Um, so we're <laughs> building a rather beautiful Baroque stage within the stage, yeah, yeah. Um, which is going to have a sort of typical Baroque perspective forest set on it which is all beautifully painted in an old-fashioned way from the front, but the set is on the revolve. So when it starts turning, the illusion breaks, and you see that everything is just... An illusion. Tatty, dirty, (laughs) wood and backstage stuff around the back. Yeah, the piece is very much about the contrast between, between reality and and illusion mm-hmm. um so we thought this was this was a good sort of metaphor um we're also really showing the theater as this world of of enchantments and 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 sort of make believe that one can lose oneself in um and sort of contrasting that with a with a sense of the modern world which is far more focused on spreadsheets and medical emergencies <laughs> and true. military issues and that political is issues and all of those things. And of course, it's always been a tension, but we're trying to, in a very gentle, metaphorical way, play with mm-hmm. it in, in this show. And then just one more thing about the structure of the opera. Is it a typical sort of Baroque opera where there's a fair amount of recitative, the da capo arias? The recitatives are generally very short. Um, they kind of nip through and get onto the next aria. Okay. Is then, it a big cast? It's a cast of seven principals. 
Um, there is a chorus who have a tiny bit to do. They've got very little to do. Um, and then, yeah, it's really these seven principles going through. Mm-hmm. Many different intrigues and and betrayals and disappointments and, and revolving stages <laughs> and all on a revolving stage <laughs> stage. So um, so there's a lot of technical stuff to get right as well. Okay, Matthew, let's have another piece. Caesar and Cleopatra. What am I looking at here? So this is a bit of a rarity. Um, this is this is from a Cleopatra and Caesar aria by by a composer who will be no, new to most listeners, I'm sure. Carl Heinrich Graun. Um, fabulous piece. Uh, I've chosen this. It's from an absolutely brilliant CD which came out last year called Mirrors uh, of Baroque Arias um, by Janine de Beek, a fantastic soprano from Trinidad, uh, who was the best in our production, one of the two bests in our production with Pumeza Machikiza. Janine also sings a lot of Baroque music as well as some heavier repertoire like, like Bess. Um, and this album won a lot of awards last year. Um, was definitely one of my favorite discs that, that were, were released last year. Sorry. 
That's music by Carl Heinrich Graun from Cleopatra and Caesar. And who was the singer there, Matthew? Janine de Beek. Janine de Beek. And her CD is called Mirrors. Exactly. You're listening to Fine Music Radio, and the program is People of Note. My guest is Matthew Wilde, whose production of Handel's Alcina is about to open at the Artscape Theatre here. You know what has fascinated me, um, keeping a tab on your career, uh, Matthew, is your love also and how well you do the lighter stuff. That fantastic Rocky Horror that you did at the um, Fugard, which was by far the best Rocky Horror I'd ever seen, and also Cabaret, West Side Story. So you must just love theatre, whether it's opera or musicals or whatever. Yeah, I love balancing opera and, and musicals. I, I really enjoy, you know, having a balance of both in, in, in my diary. Mm-hmm. I will kind of say I'm more into the very high quality musicals than, okay. than you, you know, it's, it's not that I'm into everything musical theatre at all, but when you're looking at pieces like Cabaret and, and West Side Story yeah, yeah. Um, and Rocky Horror, to I think honest, we can put that among the. You know, the these are musical masterpieces. Mm-hmm. They're theatrically absolutely brilliant, and they're all about rather serious things. Yes. Um, so I don't see any huge difference between those and, and, and the operatic work that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's also interesting then to do pieces like Porgy and Bess, which are somehow a little bit crossover. It's not not quite yes. clear which genre they, they fit into, and I'm getting engaged quite a lot for those sort of works as well. Um, you know, the interesting thing is that in, in German-speaking Europe, there's still rather a big divorce between, between musicals and opera, and people tend to work in, in one or the other. Um, and it's only really now that some directors are starting to move more freely between the two, and that's something that I'm trying to do now as well. When you say more freely, does that mean also when you approach a musical, is it more free for you, or could it just as well be an opera with, with a serious text? I mean, whichever, whichever way you do it, musicals are highly technical. Um, you're yeah, working with true. amplified sound. You're often working with a lot of set changes. Timing is everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you're working with a lot of understudies. Uh, you're working with a lot of choreography. So you have to think in a way that's very detailed with a lot of pre-planning and, and, and in a way that's very technical. This is not so important sometimes in operas. You, you know, if you're doing Electra or something, there's probably one set. And it's more about working with the, with the singers on, on, on their performances within that. I love the technical challenge challenge of, of musicals. You know, I love to make spreadsheets in advance and, and work out timings carefully and, yeah, yeah. and work out how you can do transitions between things. I really enjoy that. But in general, people expect concepts on, on operas to be, you know, somewhat more out there with, with, than musicals. If the musical is going to run for a long time, uh, you probably have to make sure that it bears some resemblance to what the people were expecting to see. Yeah. That's the thing with the musicals, isn't it? They have such a long run compared to an operatic run. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, but then again, in the German-speaking world, if you know, if one of the big theatres does a musical, it's always because they want to reinvent it, mm. and they don't want it to look like a commercial musical. Um, so that's also when they're more likely to come to someone like me and say, you know, we see that you do operas as well. What do you think about this piece? The interesting thing now is that musicals are becoming a huge part of the theatrical diet in in the German-speaking world. Um, People's attendance patterns have definitely changed since COVID, um, and a lot of the theatres are are now programming musicals quite a lot. Gosh, I don't know whether to say that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I'm sure it's a good thing, surely. Uh, We're going to have to see how things settle. I mean, there there were really some months earlier in this year in which everybody was shocked at how bad attendance had got in in most theatres. And I think over the, the year ahead, we're just going to have to see whether people 
settle back into going to the, the operas that they used to or if appetites have changed somewhat. Mm-hmm. And also theatre, Matthew, do you, I don't see you doing much theatre. Very little nowadays. I would yeah. still love to go back to spoken theatre every so often, but, um, yeah, my diary is very much dominated <laughs> by by stuff that involves people singing and, and sometimes dancing nowadays. Well, among your lists here on your bio that I've been looking at is um, Wagner's Parsifal for the Concert Theatre in Bern. Now, that's something, shall we say, big because it's one of those operas. First of all, I have to confess that it's a great favourite of mine. And it has, I've seen it at Bayreuth, and it has so many layers. How would you have approached that? So many layers. <laughs> no, <laughs> too many layers. Um, well, well, this production got cancelled eventually because of, because of COVID. Um, but we got the production, we were given the contract just at the beginning of, of, of COVID in the first lockdowns. So I locked myself away month after month, listening to sort of every available Parsifal recording and, and getting as deeply into the philosophy of it as, as possible. I've been a huge Wagner fan since, since I was a teenager. He, he was kind of the first composer that I fell head over heels in love with, and I've, I've been a Wagner nerd sitting collecting. Good, then you can stay. Yeah, 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 yeah. sitting <laughs> collecting recordings uh, for the longest time. But this was a strange and interesting experience for me. I mean, it was uh, it it was strange trying to work so much in isolation and and work with designers, one of whom was in Germany, one of whom was in South Korea, only over Zoom, oh, which was an awful experience. I mean, <laughs> I, I just now in, in, insist that we get together because it, trying to do creative work, it's just not the same. You know, one mm. needs to arrive with some coffee table books and. Yes get some coffee in the room and talk over each other and, and get excited and say stupid things and, and, and y- you know, and somehow things are so stilted on video calls. Absolutely. It's, 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 it's really not, not so easy. Yeah. Um, but I also, you know, I think I'm at a phase now where I'm going from being a an, an more innocent admirer of Wagner to, to actually having to read a lot of the unpleasant stuff that he wrote and, 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 and the difficult philosophy behind it. Um, and these pieces are such a web of of different layers, as mm. you as you put it. Yeah. The further I got into Parsifal, which is a piece that I ostensibly also love, um, it becomes harder and harder to separate the disturbing elements from the absolutely glorious <laughs> elements. Um, and you realize that Wagner at this point in his career was literally just throwing bits and pieces of everything that he was interested in into this astonishing melting pot um, which is really very contradictory and very hard to tie down. Mm-hmm. Um, so is your production going to be fairly controversial, the word well, I used uh, before? We were taking a sort of post-apocalyptic approach to it. We we actually started with photos of the seed bank in, in uh, Norway. I don't know if you've ever seen this. It's a fantastic no. place. Very, very far north in, in Norway. You go down this long concrete passage and there's an underground vault in the permafrost um, containing seeds from from as many imaginable types as, as plants as possible so that if there's a major climate catastrophe or something, someone will be able to go down and, and replant things. Um, so my idea was to try and do it after after civilization had, had collapsed very seriously and there were some people living in this sort of vault trying to hang on to various relics of civilization bits of religion, bits of art, bits of, yeah. of nature, yeah. um, and trying to plan a new society in, 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 in which they were going to try and bring, bring the earth back to life. 
Yeah, we we spent a year preparing this production. It was obviously, you know, fairly devastating when it couldn't go ahead because of because of COVID. But in a way, I was also quite quite grateful to have this sort of trial run go at this at this huge piece. I'm sure I'll come back to it before mm-hmm. before too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the moment, I'm I'm preparing another big Wagner production for a very important house in in Germany, which is happening in and early 2024. And what's that, Matthew? I'm not allowed to say yet. <laughs> um, that'll that'll get announced uh, in a couple of months' time. Okay. Um, okay. But I'm. Yeah, surrounded by books on Wagner and his life and Good. and Nietzsche and Schopenhauer and all sorts of and things. And Scruton. Roger Scruton wrote an excellent little book. I've Parsifal. read some of the Scruton. Yes, yeah. it's excellent. It's, it's just on Parsifal. Yes. It's called yes, yes, Parsifal, yes, yes, yes. which is a little gem if you can get through it. <laughs> um, Pergolesi Stabat Marta, I see, is your next choice. Yeah, this is a this is a, a um, th- this is something that we actually did during the the pandemic. Um, very early on in the pandemic, we were looking for something that we could make on film, um, and together with Cape Town City Ballet and Camerata Tinta Barocca, now the, the Cape Town Baroque Orchestra, um, we worked on a wonderful little filmed version of Pergolesi's Stabat Mater. Um, so I thought I would bring the opening music from that.
the opening of the Stubbock Mater by Pergolesi and another choice of my guest on People of Note this week here on Fine Music Radio, Matthew Wilde. His production of Handel's Alcina opens at uh, the Artscape Theatre this coming weekend. You know what, Matthew, I just want to go back. I want to do a little biographical thing now with you, how you got into this whole world of theatre. How did you get into theatre and all that sort of thing? My mum was a ballet teacher, so there was always a lot of dance in the house, and I would mm-hmm. go to her rehearsals. And from, from from very young, I used to get involved in helping to paint the sets for the for the <laughs> annual really? show, and 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 that you know, always costumes around. So from that point of view, I was sort of bitten by the bug quite quite early. Um, the house was also rather full of a lot of books on costume design and stage design and stuff like that, which I started pouring over when I was strangely young. Um, I was a sort of adequate pianist as a as a youngster and had a very inspiring piano teacher at Bergfried High School, Dr. Stuart Young, um, who, who, I've who met. passed away a little while ago, yes, yes. who was just astonishing in, in sort of, well, I mean, A, a taking me forward as a, as a piano player, but just giving me a lot of other music to to get to learn, introducing me to opera, bringing me to symphony concerts and to to live opera performances. Um, so he really invested a lot in in sort of opening my eyes to 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 what else was going on in in, in classical Shows music. Shows how important those people are at those young ages Hugely to have important. someone like that. Huge. You're so blessed. And that was sort of how I how I started listening to opera and and. You know, in our weekly lessons, he would chat with me about whatever I was was listening to and suggest something else to listen to, and uh-huh. and yeah, that that was a huge influence. So, how then did you slide into the world of directing? I job shadowed Angela Gabato um, here when I was sixteen because I thought I wanted to work in opera. I, I can't sing at all, um, so directing was was sort of the only option. I was also very into visual art and and into drama at, at high school, so I thought I sort of thought that I could bring that together with music as a, as an opera director. Um, and the, the only real route open to me was going to drama school at, at, at UCT, and then I got quite sidetracked into spoken theatre. Um, I worked a little bit in opera in, in, in my 20s as an assistant and doing some smaller pieces, um, but it was really only at the end of my 20s that I started to get pulled back into opera. Because you did some acting, didn't you? Spoken, I did for a few years. Theater. For a few years, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was never brilliant at it, <laughs> you. Okay. but um, but it was. I, I'm really glad that I had those few years to just know what it's like to be on stage and to have a little bit of understanding of of what it's like to be on the other other side of the proscenium. Mm-hmm. I think it helps. And how does it feel when you um, up there and your your baby Alcina comes to life with an audience and you sit and watch it and you think, gosh, after all these years, look what's happening? Is it a sense of? It must be a wonderful sense of achievement and joy, I would say. When things come come together well, there there is certainly a, a, a massive sense of joy, and when you see that it really communicates with an audience, that's that's always magic, you know. Mm-hmm. In a way, I always find that special on the musicals because they they have such an immediate impact on you. Know, you know, you really see people kind of grabbing the hand of their partner and wiping <laughs> back a tear, and 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 you know, you you see that sometimes in a very immediate way. 
Yeah, you, you know, from the moment that you go onto stage, it's a roller coaster journey of, of looking at it and going, wow, this is going to be brilliant. And the next day sort of going, oh, nothing's working. We've, we, we, there's so much stuff that we have to fix and, and just chipping away at it bit by bit. I think the pandemic has, you know, took all of this to a, to a far more intense level for us because at that point to get something on the stage really took years of, of jumping over awful. the most yeah. astonishing hurdles. Yeah. So by the time we opened Porgy and Bess in Vienna, yes, there's some joy, but there's also just this astonishing sense of of relief that you've somehow gotten over the uh, the incredible travel and visa and health hurdles and all of the COVID tests and all of oh the people gosh. who have to be isolated. You know, it, it just it, it took things to a whole new level. Uh, and I'm really happy that we're now starting to settle back into a into a calmer and audiences, way of working. Audiences also now coming back, aren't they? Absolutely. I mean, there was that patch where productions immediately after the pandemic were not well attended. But now, for example, the symphony season here is virtually full. It's full again, exactly. Mm. I mean, there's suddenly so much on again in, in Cape Town. Um, and it's great to see audiences coming back. And I hope everyone will really continue to support live performance. It's been um, such a difficult time for, for everyone over the past two and a half years. Um, and it's great to have the public support and, um, yeah, to know that they're still really interested. Indeed, Matthew. Well, just before I let you go and play the last piece, what is next on your... I always like to ask people what's next. What are you working on now and sifting through? I know you're not allowed to tell us about the yeah, Wagner Opera. I can't opera. say most of the names. Um, I, have to, I have to go back to Europe as soon as this opens for the Wagner Opera Okay. Um, to go finalize design meetings for that. Uh, straight after that, I go on to design meetings for a musical for Switzerland. Um, it's going to be working in a new place in Switzerland that I've been dying to work. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. The, the last musical I did in Europe was Chicago, just, just before the pandemic. So it's going to be great to get back into that. I returned to the Tyrol, um, where I had a beautiful production of, of Königskinder by Humperdinck. That's getting revived next year. Um, and then after that, it's chock-a-block with shows, with shows in with Europe you. after that. The Congratulations. That's amazing to be that busy. I Yo, I'm, I'm glad it's all back on track after the <laughs> after the COVID interruption. Yeah, it's it's everything's kind of back. Tell me a little bit about the last okay. piece you've chosen, the Monteverdi piece. Such gorgeous, gorgeous music. This is the duet from the the very end of the coronation of Popea, one of the rare examples in opera in which the two baddies get everything that they want and <laughs> end in in pure erotic bliss. It's going to be sung here by Magdalena Kojena and Anna Prohaska. Perhaps the most beautiful piece of music that Monteverdi ever wrote, um, with the proviso that a lot of people think Monteverdi didn't actually write it and somebody else <laughs> inserted it into the opera. But regardless, an absolutely exquisite duet for two high voices. Thank you very much. My guest on People of Note this week has been Matthew Wilde. And go along and see his production of Handel's Alcina, which opens this weekend here at the Artscape Theatre. Thank you, Matthew. It's been lovely to be here.
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions.